You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm so glad to have you here with me today. I don't know about you, but our family is still still adjusting to the new routines of the beginning of the school year. We're about a month in. And while we are getting a little bit more structured and feeling a little less overwhelmed, we're still kind of in that learning curve of trying to figure out, okay, how does this work with new schedules and new activities and new schools and all of that? So I hope you're finding your footing coming out of the summer and into this new season of the year and also new kind of season of private practice. Many of us experienced what we call summer slump, where clients go on vacation or the number of consults that we get or new clients reaching out seems to dip down. So if that's been you and this is maybe your first or maybe second or third summer of practice and you're wondering like something wrong, don't worry because that is very common in the summertime and We are now heading into the time of year where we really do start to see an uptick of new referrals, something about the start of school year, about kind of heading into the fall towards the holidays. So just prepare yourself because more than likely you're going to start seeing an uptick of those new referrals. So again, if you've been worried, buckle up, get ready because those referrals, they are coming. So I've recently been chatting with a friend who is thinking about starting her own private practice and having a lot of questions about where to start and what to do and all the things that our grad school programs don't teach us. And while I help coach women on, you know, building their own online practices, it's something that I do, something that I know a lot about. I realized that there are still so many of us that don't really know where to begin or how to start. I think sometimes as a leader or even as therapists, I see this a lot where we think, well, you know, this is just common knowledge, right? Everybody knows these things or everybody knows this already when we share something about calming techniques or a therapeutic process or understanding and someone's kind of blown away and we're like, oh, I thought I thought everybody knew this. And I think I have at times, and this conversation with a friend recently highlighted it to me, that so many people have gone into private practice during the pandemic. And I've just kind of thought, oh, well, you know, most people know this stuff already. And I'm realizing like, well, no, not necessarily, you know, we take for granted what we know. We think that what we know, everybody else already knows. So I want to start sprinkling in some episodes that do focus more on the beginning stages of practice building. A lot of the episodes so far do kind of look at if you already are in practice, what are some things you can do to help 
shift mindset or finances or marketing or niche work. While those are all things that absolutely can be adjusted and we need to focus on later on in our practice, those are also things that we need to look at from a different lens at the beginning stages of our practice. So I'm going to be doing some episodes that are more beginning stage focused, but I do think can be helpful for all of us, regardless of where we are in our practice. So in today's episode, I want to take some time to reflect back to the beginning of when I was starting my private practice. And from where I am now, looking back, what would I do differently if I was in a place of starting my practice over again? I think this can be really helpful to reflect on because then it helps us to know either what we want to share with other people or, okay, so what am I doing to make sure I'm not still making or I'm correcting or I'm adjusting to those decisions I made back then? I want to start by just bringing some background, you know, some context to when I was starting my private practice. And that might help you to understand the three things that I would do differently now. In 2015, my husband got stationed with the Coast Guard on uh, the island of Maui. And I was about six years into my career, having worked in a variety of nonprofits, elementary schools, clinics, medical social work, state agencies, crisis teams. Private practice was never my professional goal. If you've listened to some of my earlier episodes, you've heard me talk about that. It was never this thing that I wanted to do or I really had thought about, but it was always the backup plan if I couldn't find work. I had no idea that six years into my career, I would be in the place where I needed that as an option. So before we had moved to Maui, I was working in medical social work and I had started working just on the side for one of the, I'll call it kind of big box therapy companies that was early on at that point and is now very popular. And it allowed me to dip my toe into private practice, help me to set aside some savings for this move that we were going to have and to begin exploring online therapy. Again, this is back in 2015. So like it really was not a popular thing. I remember in maybe one or two classes of, you know, several years prior in grad school, like it being mentioned, but it was not what it is today. And so I was just kind of exploring online therapy, private practice while still working full time. And again, my goal was never to have that be the thing. When we found out we were getting stationed on Maui, I quickly began to start panicking (laughs) Because in looking at job prospects, Maui is not a largely populated island. Like the population fluctuates significantly and like will get very high, not by people who are residents living there, but because there's so many tourists. There's not a lot of industry compared to, say, Oahu, where there are a lot more job opportunities. So from the get-go, I had a really hard time finding a job, especially since I wasn't from Maui. It was a real challenge. A few months into living there, I did start working PRN or as needed for a home health company, but I knew financially it wasn't going to be enough and I wasn't really career fulfilled. It wasn't what I really wanted to be doing. 
So I want to just take for a moment in the midst of this, just first to like step back and kind of acknowledge my privilege during this time. I was lucky that I was able to have health insurance through my husband's job. So that was not a stressor on me that I absolutely had to find a job that had health insurance coverage because I had that taken care of. I did have some savings, not a lot, like really not a lot, but I did have some savings set aside that I was able to cover certain expenses until I was able to get started with my job at the home health company. I absolutely had some support in those ways that I did not have to stress about. Money did start to get tight once the savings ran out before my practice got going, but I did have that little bit of financial support at the time when I was starting. When I did make the decision to start exploring private practice, when I thought about why I wanted to do that, it really was to be able to allow me to have a job that used my degree. I had spent a lot of time and a lot of money on getting my master's in social work and getting my LCSW. And it was really important for me to continue that. And so I wanted to use that degree, use my training, and I wanted to work for myself because it would allow me flexibility in my schedule that I just needed because of where we were located and how long it took to travel to see people and just some events and things that we had coming up during the time we were going to be living there. So that's a little bit of background when I started, when I got going in private practice. So as I've been reflecting on where I started and how things transitioned and where I am now, there are absolutely many, many things that I would totally do differently compared to where I was in 2015. There could be multiple episodes about that, but I wanted to just pick three to focus on for this one. And there are three that I see today, the... I'm a, I'm not sure I want to call them consequences, but yet there were consequences, but three things that because I did not do them a certain way, or because I didn't take the time to do them in a maybe more thought out way, maybe that's a better way of saying it, that there were some things that had a huge impact on me personally and financially and business wise. I'm going to take some time and go through each of these. The first thing that I absolutely would do different is to have a better understanding of finances in my business and have a financial system. Something that I only recently learned about over the last few years is the concept of on-ramping and off-ramping when it comes to careers and women. And if you're not familiar with this term, it references when women leave the workforce. So that would be off-ramping or re-enter, so on-ramping. And there could be a variety of different reasons that we find ourselves in the position of leaving the workforce. It could be due to a career change, needing to take time off. But a lot of times, one of the most common things we see this happening with is when we have a child, taking time from maternity leave or to stay home with that baby or that child for a period of time. When we take off time from a job, we don't have income, right? Like if we're not working, we're not making money, which means we're not saving for retirement. We're not paying into the social security system. And if we're self-employed or a sole proprietor or LLC, which the majority of us are, we're not W-2 employees when we're in private practice. 
we aren't paying into those systems either if we're not making money or if we're not paying taxes. So we're not doing anything that's really helping set us up for our future financially when we are taking time away to either care for ourselves, care for a family member, have a baby, move. So when I went into working for myself in private practice, once things got going, it was so exciting to see this money coming in and to know like, I made this. Oh my goodness, this is so cool. Like this isn't because somebody else told me this is what I was worth. It's because I put in the hours and I did this and I'm paying myself. But I had zero idea about how to manage that money from a business standpoint and a personal finances standpoint. I knew I could write things off, but I really didn't have any concept of really how to manage that money. So I didn't put anything aside into retirement. I did not pay into quarterly taxes. At the time, I didn't have any kids. And so I was not thinking about the financial impact of not putting aside into retirement for the future or for when I decided to take time off to have a family. It wasn't until a year into my practice that I had the shock of paying taxes at the end of the year that I had not planned for. I had no idea that I was supposed to be paying quarterly taxes and be setting money aside for that. Like that was just not something that I knew anything about. And so because I wasn't paying quarterly taxes, I wasn't paying into social security. And I definitely wasn't putting money aside for retirement, which not only would have been helping me prepare for the future, right? Like thinking, you know, to the day when I don't work anymore, but it also would have been giving me a tax break too, right? Like I had no concept of this. I was not thinking through this stuff and I was making good money. So it felt like amazing to, again, to see this in my bank account. It was more than I was making working in medical social work. I was naive. I was young. I was uninformed. If I could go back, I absolutely would have looked into what do I need to do financially as a self-employed person. I would have looked into like, how do I pay taxes? What does that look like? How do I pay myself? How do I save for the future for when I need to take time off because I'm vacationing or I'm going to have children in the future or for other family needs? How do I pay for retirement when I work for myself? These were things that I look back on and I think, oh my gosh, when I think of how much money I was making and not really planning for the future with, I just want to kick myself. <laughs> so if I was back at the beginning, I would absolutely think through and plan for my finances and my practice in a much better way than I did. That is one of the things that even if you have not started your practice, if you are contemplating your practice, if you are thinking through your practice, to be able to think about those financial needs is so important. I really encourage you to make sure that this is an area that you prioritize as you begin thinking through building your practice. We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. 
This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug and send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. The second thing that I would do differently if I was starting my practice over is to think specifically about who are the clients that I want to work with? What is the niche that I want to focus on? This was not something on my radar when I was starting out back in 2015. It was not something that I really heard many people talking about. It was not something that I really was exposed to in grad school. You know, I was coming from a place of having gone to get my master's in social work as a generalist. And and that's, that's really common in a lot of social work programs. I did have a focus on trauma and disaster mental health, had a specialization in that. But even within that, let's say I wanted to work with people experiencing trauma or, you know, specifically with disaster mental health, being able to get much clearer on, okay, so within that area of mental health need, who are the people that I want to work with? I absolutely did do some work after grad school in those areas. Like so many of us coming out of grad school where we're like, I need to pay my bills. I now have student loan payments. I kind of just took whatever work was available and kind of bounced from place to place. Just like, I just need to make money. A lot of my population that I had worked with out of grad school were children, were teenagers, and I really enjoyed that. So that did become kind of the area of focus, I would say, of my practice. When I was building it, you know, I would say, I want to work with teenagers. But I also said, but I'll work with trauma. I'll see adults. I'll see little kids. I'll just see anyone. And I think a lot of that was because like so many of us, I really still had this mentality of, I have to be available to anyone and everyone because that's what I felt like I was told I had to do in my profession. And because I was like, I just need to make money, right? Like I'm not going to turn away a client. If someone wants to pay me or use their insurance to see me and you're not my ideal client, who cares? Let's, let's go. But what ended up happening is I wasn't happy in my work. I wasn't seeing clients that were really aligned with the work I wanted to do. They were perhaps a higher need than I wanted to be working with or that I had time available for, or they had a need that was in an area that I wasn't really trained in or wasn't really comfortable working with. There were certain clients that I just came to dread or certain days of the week that was like, I just don't want to do this. But if I had been working in a more specific niche as I am now, if I was clear on the ideal client that I wanted to see, I would have been more satisfied in my work. It wouldn't have just been about the money, which it really was at that time. It was just, I just need to make money. And it also would have helped me with longevity and marketing success. You know, eventually when I 
did identify my niche, when I did identify who my ideal client is, who do I want to be working with? I really had to start back over and redo my marketing to speak to and attract my ideal client. So all of the stuff that I had done up until that point really was useless. So I had done this work to create a marketing plan, but it wasn't really serving me anymore. And so I had to start over. I had to do the work all over again. Now, this isn't to say like, you can't change your niche. Many of us have done that. And I think that can be really helpful if you start in one area and you're like, yeah, this isn't working for me anymore. But I really didn't have one to begin with. My marketing material that I did have was not clear, was not speaking to that ideal person that I wanted to be supporting. While I loved being able to make my own schedule and to work for myself, I wasn't always happy because of the caseload I had created for myself. I had done this to myself. No one else had. If I had actually taken the time to think about who I wanted to work with, I would have been able to build a practice from the beginning that I was happy with and that was sustainable. I think many of us come from a place of, I just need to make money, so I just need to get clients. I've heard many people say this, myself included. But the downside of that is then we create a practice that ultimately doesn't work for us, either because we then make a schedule that doesn't give us what we want because we're seeing clients at times that work for them and versus us, or we aren't truly happy or fulfilled because we aren't working with our ideal client. So I really want to encourage you again, if you're at the beginning or if you have started your practice and you're like, this just isn't working for me, take the time, do the work and identify your niche and your ideal client so that you can set your practice up in a way that feels aligned and is going to help you to do the work that you want to be doing. The last thing I'm going to talk about in reflecting back, if I was starting over again, I absolutely would be getting some kind of coaching or support to help me build my practice. When I was starting my practice back in 2015, there wasn't a ton of coaches or consultants out there helping people build their practices. I know there's a lot more now and it can feel overwhelming or uncertain of like, do I really need that? Back then, it really wasn't as much of a thing. And the one program that I was aware of at the time that did exist, it felt like it was out of my price range. And I felt like, well, I should just be able to do this, right? I should just be able to figure this all out. And so I did what many of us do. I I Googled a lot. I chatted with a couple of friends who had recently started private practices. The honest truth is I really just tried to piece together what I thought was right. I really didn't ask for help in the areas that I should have been, such as financing, marketing, niching. When I think back to that time, And again, I don't know why I feel like I was embarrassed to ask for that help or ashamed to. And again, I don't know exactly why. I don't know if I thought, well, I have my master's degree. I've been in practice for six years. Like I should just be able to figure this out myself. But like no one taught us this in grad school. (laughs) What made me think that I could figure this out myself? But I did in many ways, right? Like there were many mistakes that I made. There were many things that I did that I would do differently now. But in many ways, I did figure it out. I figured out how to credential myself with insurance panels, you know, mistakes and all. I corrected them. It took a lot longer than it needed to be, but I did it. I figured out how to make a website. It was not great, the one that I made at the time, but I did it. 
And ultimately, while the practice was a success in terms of, let's say, like referrals and income, right? Like I had a lot of referrals. I had a full caseload. I was making money. It really was not built in a way that was sustainable for me in so many ways. I ended up stepping away from my private practice after I had my first son in 2017 because of the needs of my family where my husband was going to be away for multiple months after he was born and having to travel to other parts of the country to be with family, to have support, and then going to be moving shortly thereafter. It just was not feasible for me to work after he was born. And so I had several years without any kind of income. Going back to that exit ramp, I wasn't putting anything aside into savings or retirement or towards taxes. And I didn't have savings or anything for the future. I did keep some things like my website, but the majority of other stuff with my practice, I let go of. And I, like I said, I did keep the website. I did eventually let go of that one for several reasons, but I really wasn't doing anything with my practice. When I realized at the start of 2019 that I wanted to go back into private practice and make my practice all online and that this is what I wanted to do. This is what was going to work for our family best with the lifestyle that we have with the military. I knew that if I was going to do this, I didn't want to make the same mistakes that I had before. I knew that I had made some boo-boos. I had made some errors. And if I was going to do this, I wanted it to be sustainable. I wanted this to have longevity. I wanted this to be long-term. There were just some things that I knew that I hadn't learned either on my own or in grad school. And I needed the support of a coach to help me truly set up my practice in a way that was sustainable and felt good to me. And if I hadn't done that, I honestly don't think I would be here almost five years later, still thriving in my practice, full with clients fulfilled, financially stable. And so having the support helped me to really think about who I wanted to work with, what I wanted my practice to look like and feel like, how I wanted to make sure my practice worked for me and not for other people, right? That it worked for me and not what my clients needed, but what I needed. I know sometimes when we're starting out, we're nervous about putting money into something if we aren't making money right? That, that was me from the get-go. That's a big reason why I didn't get support at the beginning. And this is not a pitch. I'm not sitting here pitching, you know, for you to come work with me to coach you on building your practice though. So yes, I do that. And there will be a, you know, a link in the show notes. If you want to learn more about the built to run program, this is not me telling you, you need to work with me, not at all, but this is for you to consider What is going to help you build the most sustainable and aligned practice for yourself, especially if you are starting out? What is going to help you to feel empowered, to feel confident in your systems, in your business structure, in your client base? You don't have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on programs unless you feel like they're a right fit for you. But I do encourage you to consider what are the upsides of asking for help, for seeking support? How will this help you in the long run when it comes to your practice? Is it going to help you to be sustainable? Is it going to help you have longevity to this? Is it going to help you to feel more fulfilled? Just some things for you to think about. 
these are just some of my thoughts on three things that I would do differently if I was building my private practice over again. If you're already in private practice, if you already have yours built and whether it's been for a few months or several years, I would love to know what would you do differently? What would you go back and change? Or if you are just starting out, what are your thoughts about the things that I've shared today? You can either join me over in the Facebook community that's in our show notes or on Instagram or leave your thoughts in a review and I would love to hear from you. Thanks for joining me here today and I will see you back here again next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.